0: Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most compelling and interesting seafood news. I am Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I am joined here by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. Hello. And Reporter Rachel Sapin. Here in our Seattle studios. (laughs) So, the studios... Consist of a microphone. Uh, So today we are going to be discussing um, the biggest stories that broke this week. One in particular that's taking up a lot of oxygen uh, and a lot of our time uh, across the globe because we're covering it in Norway and the UK and here in the US because it's one of those rare stories that hits on all fronts. So, it is the salmon price-fixing lawsuit that has been filed by a small little Ohio company called Euclid Fish. Um, And basically what they've done is they've piggybacked on the EC case, um, taken everything that was in discovery there, uh, done a lot of research online about what's happening with uh, salmon prices, and turned that into a a class-action suit. And we are digging into a lot of different angles about it to, to um, figure out exactly what, what's going on and where it might go. Uh, I'll kick it to you, John. You wrote a, a column today um, kind of projecting out what might happen and where this might go. You compared it to tuna. So, fire away. What is this going to mean? Well, uh, it, what it could mean is we could see
1: kind of a duplication of what happened with the canned tuna people in the sense that this class action grows into a fairly massive case involving not only individual consumers, but uh, the largest retailers in the country, and uh, ultimately costs a lot of money in uh, settlements in in the tuna case, as you're seeing now. So um, today, just a 15, 20 minutes ago, we had our second company join the class action—a small single-unit uh, bagel shop in <laughs> in Washington <laughs> D.C. And, and we chuckled because that's the absurdity of how these things start. Um, they start generally very small. The um, the tuna one, if I'm if I remember correctly, started with a small grocery store in New York, I believe, but. They have the ability to expand rapidly. There's websites that you can go to to see ongoing class actions that will let you join them. Um, You know, if you feel you've got overcharged for your salmon, well, here's here's an option. But the trigger point will be really to see if some big retailers or maybe some uh, salmon smokers will... Jump into this as you know the they did in the in the tuna case as far as retailers are concerned. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are, and you should probably expect uh, new companies to start joining this on a very frequent basis if it follows suit. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard too much back from uh, the salmon farmers. Uh, mostly Norwegian or all Norwegian ones that are named in this case, but um, you know they're probably starting to figure out this could this could get serious.
0: Yeah, Americans, um, we like lawsuits and we know how to file them. We know how to get people on board with them, um, especially when it comes to consumers, and that is where I think they'll pick up a lot of people along the way. Uh, where Starkist got hit for underfilling um, their cans, and it's kind of like Rachel, you said this. It's kind of like easy money in a way. It's like, well, why not sign up? You mm-hmm. know, because who knows? You'll get a check cut in the mail if they if they happen to win the, the case. Um, I don't. Uh, I won't prejudge it. I'll let the Nixon era appointed judge, by the way, who's nice. like eighty five or something. He's the presiding presiding judge um i'll let him i'll let him decide how how uh, much merit there is here but um i think it's going to be difficult to argue that there is a lack of transparency in the salmon farming sector compared with anything else that they might file a suit against i mean it's far and away the most transparently traded seafood commodity in the world you have futures exchanges you have spot prices of many many kinds you have Analysts covering it from one end to the other, so I think it's going to be difficult for the uh, plaintiffs to prove that these high prices are somehow the result of collusion. Um, You know, we've been reporting on this for years. There's some pretty obvious things that are happening, and that is that demand is spiking around the globe, and supply has been flat and not nearly growing to the levels of that demand. So those are pretty basic, fundamental drivers. Uh, But then again, when you get on the ground and you look at uh, prices from a bagel shop owner's perspective, maybe it looks suspicious that all of a sudden you keep paying more and more for your salmon. So maybe they're looking for a reason why and they don't know about these larger larger trends that are happening in
1: the industry. You know, it's uh, from some of the research I've been doing today, these class action cases have to get certified at some point uh, by a judge. And the threshold generally tends to be how many people sign up for the class action. So 40 is kind of a good number. If you get kind of high 20s to forty it's likely to get certified, from what I understand. Okay. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that a little bit, because at this point, I don't, I'm not sure because I'm not an attorney. I play one on TV, but I'm not <laughs> one. But uh, at this point, I don't believe it is certified as a class action.
0: doesn't mean it's not a lawsuit, but anyways. I thought you were going to have a moment where you slammed your fist on the table and said you wanted the <laughs> truth, but... <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so I think it's going to be really fascinating. I think it's uh, it's going to, you know, the the uh, Norwegian salmon farmers are going to have to spend a lot of money and time on this. It's a big distraction to have to deal with something like this. Um, so there's no getting around it, though. It's for real, uh, even if it is uh, Euclid, uh, a smallish company, and I still. You know, we we haven't figured this out, and we're working on it now. I know Rachel's got calls into the attorneys, and we're um, trying to to track this down. But it's still unclear how these cases begin and yeah. why a certain particular company would decide to bring the case, yeah. um, and and the order that people would jump into it. So Euclid's um, a small company. Uh, Bagels and Baguettes is a really really small company uh, selling bagels, as you mentioned, John, and probably they get, they get good Yelp reviews. They get good Yelp reviews. I'm sure they have a wonderful bagel in locks. But how much do they actually spend on salmon? Come on. So yeah. I guess they're hoping for a buck, two buck check at the end of this. So um yeah, but, but anyway. Doesn't it make it not a big deal. It's a big deal. But but
1: should it go the way the other one did, you know, you're seeing these settlements now in the I think $20 million range and a lot of co-marketing that, um, you know, the Tunic people have to do with the Walmarts and those people that are settling with. So on one hand, yeah, these individuals might get a few dollars, but on the other hand, there could be some big money exposure. Um, if it kind of goes all the way to, to the end of the road and we'll see. I mean, I, why? Nothing about Chile in there. I, I just find... Yeah. I, do you have an idea?
0: Uh, No. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's because... I think that's a matter of convenience. So I think the attorney saw what was happening in the EC yeah. and just said, hey, let's cut and paste this and yeah. bring it so it's easier. Because um, it doesn't make sense. And I think if you read the filing, like it's, it's loaded with inaccuracies and loaded with clearly a lack of knowledge about the sector. So an attorney did... His or her best to put it together and file it, but there's not a lot of, you know, not a lot of knowledge about the salmon industry and the filing itself. So I right. think they looked what the EC did, copied it, put it up, and um, otherwise there would have been some some very basic things they would have noted, like the volume of Chilean and Canadian salmon coming into the U.S. and why why would those not be looked at? Yeah. Um, but you brought up a good point, John, and that's that um, as Industries consolidate, and as the seafood industry consolidates, is this something we'll see more? Whether it's tuna or salmon or, you know, wild whitefish for that matter, shrimp, you know, shrimp. You know, so is that is there is there a risk of this as companies consolidate that then they become bigger and bigger targets for this? You know, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I mean the the, the buyout of Bumblebee by Thai Union uh, triggered. Triggered all their trouble ultimately, so and that was a consolidation move. So, you know, maybe I, I I don't know, but you're right. I think they just patterned everything after the EC investigation, which is the same same concept, and thought they'd
0: see if they could do it here. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I think the the EC one is one that probably the Norwegian companies should be more concerned about. But um, if that one does, if they do end up finding that there was collusion in the EC, it, it certainly helps. makes the case a lot easier to be made here, even if it's just kind of a bizarre, you know, backwards way to, to kind of um, sell that case on the U.S. market. So
1: Yeah, so I think the thing to watch for now is to see if somebody of importance signs on to this. By that I mean... A Walmart, a Kroger, a Whole Foods, a whoever it may be but you know somebody with some gravitas as opposed to the the bagel shot, no disrespect but um, and if that happens, you know that kind of kicks it up to the next level. so
0: yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to follow and John, you mentioned to the DOJ um, they've really I mean, you would think when you have a Republican president that they're more business friendly, but interestingly enough, the Antitrust division of the Department of Justice has been a lot more aggressive about uh antitrust issues, not just in tuna and other uh, but other sectors as yeah. well so yeah they they
1: do seem to be uh you know busier than uh, maybe before, so you know that doesn't bode well <laughs> but um, who knows
0: who knows it's hard to know what the administration's moves are but yeah. All right, well, we're not going to be stopping writing or covering that anytime soon, so this is just going to be part of our daily lives for months, years to come. I don't know, but uh, anyway, it's been, uh, it's been interesting to follow. All right, we will move over to Maine, and uh, Rachel, you did a great story on the Maine aquaculture sector and how, um, how we're seeing some not-in-my-backyard NIMBY Uh, opposition happening um but maybe just give us a bit of background on maine so far it's been a in in terms of u.s states it's been a pretty pretty good story there for their aquaculture industry
2: yeah maine um has just been growing pretty exponentially with aquaculture uh, in general for finfish it's where one of the largest proposed salmon farms is set to um be completed by nordic aqua farms and it also has um A pretty long history of um, shellfish aquaculture, uh, lots of oyster cultivation, and I guess in recent years, as the lobster fishery gets a little more iffy due to a lot of things, whether it's tariffs imposed on lobster, climate change, um, some issues with bait, and and fishing every season, uh, people want more stable work, so younger residents in Maine have been very interested in getting into aquaculture. Um, But they are coming up against kind of wealthy landowners um, and a very few a few lobster fishermen who are opposed to these projects um, and in part because they affect their property views and uh, one of the most recent pro- projects is a 40 acre oyster farm proposed out there um, which is getting some really interesting opposition from one longtime resident who is wealthy and is uh, petitioning to He's petitioning to have the state put a moratorium on aquaculture leases that are bigger than 10 acres. Um, They just think these leases are getting too big. Um, This landowner says these leases could be sold to foreign entities and then Maine's ocean will be owned by foreign entities. Um, But he's kind of in the minority, even though he makes a pretty loud racket about it. And really, aquaculture is a pretty positive positive, uh, industry for Maine. A lot of younger people there that have grown up in the lobster fishing industry, really want it there. They like the jobs it's bringing. Uh, Shellfish is supposed to actually help the ocean environment. It's a very um, uh, well-regarded form of aquaculture compared to finfish. Um, So, yeah, Maine's in a really interesting spot where it's got this up-and-coming industry, younger residents wanting to get into it, but uh, also some opposition from some long-time landowners and lobstermen. And it just kind of has a lot of the... uh, the old versus new dynamic going on
0: right now. Mm. I mean, sort of the genesis of your story, right, was just um, that we've had this opposition to land-based salmon farming in Maine, which has been pretty, you know, pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how effective, but pretty loud. Um, and then you have Cook, uh, who's been uh, operating salmon farms in Maine for a long, long time, and... Um, and has been able to sort of get along there with the community. So what have they done differently than um, maybe the land-based farmers, or, or what have they done differently than they uh, did here in Washington where uh, things went really sideways?
2: I, honestly, I, I don't know if I can answer that. what happened to them in Washington. is uh, I don't know that they could do that in any other state, what, whatever they did to make everyone hate them here. But um, in Maine, they kind of started locating there in the mid-2000s. They bought out a bunch of uh, major salmon farm sites that were already there, um, and they bought them way northeast of where um, some of these other projects that are coming up against opposition are located. um, Like Projects like Nordics are more near Portland, um, Uh, which is like you know, kind of uh, main main city. Uh, mm-hmm. So it really depends. So like, this
0: is more rural, and maybe they have a little bit more social license because they are providing jobs and. Yeah, things. and yeah. like
2: where Cook is, they are in the poorest town in the state. Um, like over twenty percent of its residents live befo- below the poverty level. Mm. So it just you know it has a pretty um, pretty uh, pretty bad economy, and I think uh, Cook does a lot down there in the community.
0: Yeah, how I mean, about with that? Yeah, and it's interesting to me just the social license aspect of aquaculture. It seems like it's becoming. I think companies have begun to be much more aware of the importance of that. You know that that's that's a big economic factor to be thinking about now. Is it's very easy, and I think Washington's a great example to just have if you don't have those connections with community with politicians with people if you don't have people on your side seeing you as a benefit to the community wow it's uh, one one false move and you can be out you know yeah you saw in washington they tried towards
1: the end of that debacle to kind of shine light on all the jobs because these farms are in you know they're not in nowhere land in washington but they're in smaller towns and they do provide jobs, but that, um, you know, the damage had been done by then, they they couldn't turn that around, so, you know, maybe that's a good lesson, like you guys were saying, you know, invest in that social aspect, so the NIMBYs
0: don't come get you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. So, what do you think, where does this go? Is this a real... Is there going to be more opposition building to it? Are we going to see more of this in Maine, threatening either Cook or threatening the development there?
2: Yeah, I I think if Cook did want to expand to some of the towns that these other projects are in, like uh, New Brunswick or, um, you know, where Nordic is locating, they might come up against opposition. They haven't grown a ton um, from when they purchased the farms that were already there in the mid-2000s. And I think they're just being very strategic and quiet about their plans uh, for that area because I think they realize that they don't want another Washington State debacle for their company or they'll they'll be kicked out of the U.S. at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the U.S. will have no...
0: Salmon farming at that point, at least in the water. no, well, it's all, it's all, it's all we us. have left for <laughs> salmon farms this is a small cluster in Maine. So, well, who knows? There's land-based and there's offshore and there's all kinds of other things that may finally uh, get Americans to embrace aquaculture. Maybe that, that tide is turning, so to speak, so we'll see. Um, well, I guess we'll stay in the, uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, since, uh, we've got some developments there on the pebble mine. Um, Rachel, for folks that don't know about the pebble mine, just give everybody just a one minute overview of why they should even care about a mine if they're in the seafood industry.
2: Um, well, this particular mine is going to be located right, um, in the line of fire with the Alaska Bristol Bay salmon fishery, which is like the nation's largest wild Alaskan salmon fishery at this point. Um, it just is booing Alaska, has been having record seasons, um, and this mine could potentially, uh, if, if things don't go well, when it's built out, it could leach acid you know, into that fishery, into the water. So obviously people are really worried. Um, and right now the Army Corps of Engineers is having a public review period for this project um, that's set to end May 30th. And after that, they could potentially approve a permit for the project, which could get the ball rolling. As some of the advocates um, for stopping the mine have told me, Um, it'll get the ball rolling downhill as opposed to uphill. So Mm -hmm. they're pretty Mm -hmm. worried, even if it won't affect uh, this year's salmon fishing there. And so, yeah, right now we have a lot going on around that. Whole Foods has come out against the project. Um, A representative with the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation recently came out against it. And also Senator Patagonia Patagonia has Orvis, out against a lot of things, including that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everything. I don't know where they stand. And then also um, today uh, Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski um, said she wants to extend the timeline to review that project yeah. uh, at least to 120 days because I mean it's it, if it is approved, um, that mine could be the largest mine ever built in North America for copper and gold
0: yeah I think it's hard to overstate just sort of the potential impact and there's really not anybody for it besides the mine developers and the problem is there's so much money if they get it through um, that it's just they can just kind of keep pushing along And if you look historically that's how a lot of mines they don't think in terms of 5 years or even 10 years they look in terms of decades ahead of what these mines will be producing. So what do we need to watch out for uh, then with Pebble? What are the next steps? What uh, are we going to be doing to cover it? And what are sort of the big the big milestones coming up?
2: Well, obviously May 30th is when the uh, Army Corps is going to review all this public comment unless... They do extend that deadline. It depends how many people weigh in. Uh, there's two other Republican Alaska Senators that haven't said much yet. So maybe if enough companies get behind opposing the project, um, which is what I think Bristol Bay wants, uh, especially Bristol Bay's Seafood Association seem to be really pushing this. You've got to contact Army Corps. Let them know you don't want this project. Um, and I think they're really thinking they can pull an Amazon move, you know, that, uh, that New York pulled on Amazon, you know, that just... Right kind of drove them out of there um i don't know that this project pebble has the same dynamics but you know i think people are hoping it might
0: yeah i think the problem too is again it's such a slow burn because this project has been proposed for uh, a decade or more, or more probably yeah. right yeah. so i mean it's it's one of those things where i was talking to a, a bristol bay fisherman where he said the the biggest challenge is keeping it on people's radar yeah. because it's you know, it's like, okay, this is going to be the big decision point, you know, and then people kind of forget about it and they said, well, no, this is the big decision point. So, um, however, this is a big decision point coming up. So, um, but, well, it, but it's difficult cause it just moves so slowly and, um, you know, but it's rare that you have like the seafood industry kind of united in this way on, you know, on a, a topic, especially against another extraction industry. That's rare. Well, we got to keep in mind that under the Obama administration, the
1: mine had basically been uh, stopped, for lack of a better word. And um, I think, you know, people kind of relaxed a little bit, which is natural, and they thought it was over. But, boy, it, it revved up really quickly, and uh, it seems to have, I I think, Rachel, from reading your story, it seems to have more momentum now, politically, than than ever, in a long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I heard the same thing when I attended an event in Seattle about about uh, this issue. And everyone said, well, Obama, you know, once Obama kind of halted the project, we were good to go. And then suddenly Trump came in and his administration and Scott Pruitt, and it's like they're back to square one where mm-hmm. they just don't even know if, what all the work they did with the Environmental Protection Agency to really... You know, stop a mine that they think is going to ruin one of the best fisheries in the world for wild salmon. Um, they're just right back to square one, where they do not know uh, where they stand in this kind of big chess game with the U.S. government, and it, it seems really scary for them.
0: Mm, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be on top of it and um, and make sure that everyone knows where it's all going and how it's going to impact the industry. So. Uh, well, I think that's all the time we have and uh, that's already three huge topics that we tackled. So thank you Rachel, and thank you, John. Uh, we will be back next week. Remember that you can find us on intrafish.com and sign up for our newsletters there. That's the best way to keep up with us. And you can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. Thanks everyone.